we remain standing for the reading of the gospel from Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter, beginning at verse 19. Jesus is telling a parable here in Luke's gospel. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner received evil things. But now he's comforted, and you're in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will also not come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even as someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Our children are dismissed for children's worship. I'm always grateful when we finish that part with no injuries. <laughs> Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, rock my soul and be grateful I did not sing that. The folk song finds its origins here, though it's a little off with the details. We'll come back to that. But first, the story that unfolds in Luke's gospel, but it starts well before this time. It starts with the critics of Jesus huffing their objections and rolling their eyes, their body language betraying their disgust with Jesus for hanging out with sinners, with the poor, basically, and with those who just are not very good followers of rules. Jesus was rumored to eat with them, eat with them in their homes. For these critics, wealth meant that you were blessed. Disease and poverty meant that God found you icky. And one does not eat with icky people. 
To these critics who held themselves aloof in the human cafeteria for fear of a kind of religious food poisoning, to them Jesus told a series of stories. Stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost adult child and brother. And all these stories end with discovery, finding the coin and the sheep and the adult, and the restoration and the invitation to celebration. And then he tells a story about a guy in middle management who's living fast and loose with the money he's supposed to collect for the owner. He's discovered, and he knows what's coming, so he acts shrewdly to avoid this personal disaster that looms, and he creates a place to land when the dust settles. He reverses his fate. And the theme running through these stories is a profound sense of loss of things and pets, livelihood, people, and places. But then there's the great reversal and the joy and the celebration and the restoration of place. I wonder if these themes don't make up our reasons for being here this morning. The desire for a place where we belong. And I have to say at this point, for me, it is a rich, rich privilege indeed to belong here. But we all want that. And if you're like me, you want something to celebrate in these days, a reason for joy. And certainly a reversal of all that's wrong in the world. And perhaps we even want the reversal of the woundedness within ourselves. But the critics are not satisfied by these stories. And they ridicule Jesus. And Luke describes them as lovers of money, greedy. And he quotes Jesus as saying that they seek to enter the kingdom of God by force. In their own minds, they are blessed of God. They are God's favored ones. The proof is their wealth. How could I be this successful if God did not approve? God owes me. I deserve it. A strong sense of entitlement pervades their thinking and their living. And Jesus sees them as people claiming righteousness without humility and using righteousness as a weapon. And so Luke tells another story. And Jesus tells us a story of great contrast, a rich man dressed in Armani, feasting every day like one of those holidays that should be celebrated with food, which I believe is all of our holidays. I could probably name the food and you would know which holiday it went with. Pumpkin pie. By startling contrast, there's a poor man named Lazarus who lay at the rich man's gate. More accurately, he is unceremoniously dumped at the gate. What's one more brew to this guy? He's there at the boundary separating rich and poor, healthy and diseased, those favored of God and those not favored of God. A gate closed to the likes of Lazarus, who only hungers for crumbs, and who is too weak to shoo the dogs away, the dogs who lick his sores, a description not fit for decent company, yet a description they would have accepted, well, this is how things are, perhaps how things should be since I am at the top. 
even ordained by God, they would have found themselves nodding in agreement with this description. But then, as in the other stories, there was this great reversal. The poor man, Lazarus, dies, and the angels carry him up to Abraham. The rich man dies, and unnamed people just dump him in the ground. Jesus has effectively just reached out and flicked their theological ears. Not much difference with Lazarus being dumped on the ground in front of the rich man's place and the rich man just being dumped into the ground, but a profound change. And these critics who would storm the gates of heaven as their birthright, these who measure themselves by their wealth, turn silent, squinting daggers, at Jesus, their faces registering the insult of his words. And I see Jesus continuing as if he's somehow unaware of their body language. And he says, well, the rich man cried out for three things. He, he cried out for mercy. And he asked Abraham, I see Lazarus, send, send Lazarus. Fetch Lazarus, get me some water. And then he asked for Lazarus to be sent from the dead to warn his brothers. And Abraham says, uh, not happening. He says it nicer than that. He says, child, what a tender word. As if Abraham takes no joy in announcing hard truth. And this is where I wish I had a voice recording so I could get the, the inflection and catch the, catch the sarcasm here because the rich man actually names Lazarus. I see Lazarus. He knows him by name, and it makes his indifference to him all the more repugnant. He has left someone who he knows hungry and begging. And Abraham says, you've got good things in life, but he doesn't say God gave them. And Lazarus, uh, does that name ring any bells for you? He got evil things. And again, he does not say God did the evil things. But Abraham goes on in the story and says, now you know agony and Lazarus knows comfort. Oh, child, there's a great chasm between us. No cable car, no ferry can cross back and forth. A great canyon carved by years of indifference and neglect, by greed and self-righteousness. The hole is too deep. The chasm is too wide. There's no escaping this harsh word of judgment pronounced on greed. And in a world with growing disparity of wealth, perhaps we should take heed. Abraham is basically saying, you chose not to hang out with Lazarus. Well, you don't ever have to hang out with Lazarus. The rich man continues to plead, at least send him back from the dead to warn my brothers. And then in this parable, I think Jesus throws in another zinger. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And who are the teachers of Moses and the prophets? Who are the, the ones who safeguard the law, if not these Pharisees? 
These scriptures speak of mercy and walking humbly with God. They talk about welcoming, welcoming the stranger within your gate, opening your hand to the poor. They speak of the God who saved them when they were slaves. It's like saying, if you boys were doing your job, you wouldn't need anybody from the dead to announce this. You have enough, enough teaching and warning. But the rich man says, oh, no, they'll listen if somebody comes back from the dead. And Abraham says, not really. He could have pointed out that, rich man, you have died, and you're still calling Lazarus, your boy, to fetch something for you or to run an errand for you, but you have not yet seen Lazarus. I don't know if they could look into the future or not. I don't know if they could imagine zombies walking down Bardstown Road. A Halloween exercise of making light of people who've sort of returned from the dead. I don't know if they could imagine modern medicine that calls people back after they've been resuscitated with those marvelous stories of life after life. But I can tell you I have known people with those stories and those experiences and their families express some awe about them but don't really change anything. Abraham says, you've got all you need to learn. What are we to make of this story? Well, Lazarus is the only character in a parable with a name. The name gives identity and dignity. Not just the faceless poor who were everywhere, but an individual. Facelessness dismisses the poor with stereotypes. Like some relatives in my own family who think they're just welfare queens everywhere collecting multiple welfare checks, but who cannot name any of them. Easier to dismiss them without knowing so much easier to feel no sacred duty. Without a name, we don't have to go into some claustrophobic falling down shack smelling the coal oil with precious little food on the table but more bills there. Without a name, we can stereotype the farmers in Oklahoma who fled the 1930s Dust Bowl trying to survive, only to be called Okies and have people wish they'd go somewhere else. much like farmers from Guatemala after five years of drought trying to survive and moving north to find sustenance, to be called migrants. No, they have names. Lazarus, the name means God helps. And in this story, it's God who sees and names and saves. The rich man had such opportunity to do divine work, the work of, of seeing people and living out of faith. Rock my soul, but not in the bosom of Abraham, in the story, Lazarus stands beside Abraham. 
It's a picture of one in full stature, able to stand in strength now, free from the disease, free from the social position in which he has been dumped. Place of freedom. And Abraham, that revered parent of the faith, that wandering herdsman, and now the faith comes to life in the vulnerability of a poor, diseased person, human being, and whose vulnerability stands as an invitation to serve God and to know God. A vulnerability that leads us to God. Greed, greed is born of the fear of not having enough. It's a fear of vulnerability. Greed leads us away from God. It leads us to mentalities of entitlement, but it doesn't lead us to service. It doesn't lead us to connect with others. It doesn't lead us to love. And greed lies to us about our own need, our own vulnerability. God sees you and me. God names you and me. God helps you and me if we are willing. Amen.